six degrees of separation. You've heard the concept that each of us is linked by chains of acquaintance to anyone in the world via five other people, one of whom you know right now. The idea was first introduced by psychologist Stanley Milgram back in the 1960s. He conducted experiments in which people would identify a complete stranger and then send a letter to someone they thought was closer to the target than they were. When Milgram examined the letters that ultimately reached their target, he found they had changed hands only about six times. In 2009, Microsoft studied 30 billion electronic messages among 180 people around the world and found on a planetary scale, we are separated by 6.6 degrees of separation. So the six degrees concept generally holds water. In 1997, a social network service website was created called sixdegrees.com. It allowed users to list contacts who were then invited to join the site and do the same. At its peak, it had three and a half million fully registered members. This was the birth of social media. And Friendster, MySpace, LinkedIn, Shing, and yes, Facebook all followed this model. SixDegrees.com ultimately failed mainly because of the limitations of internet connectivity at the time. Social media today is table stakes. Just like websites a short time before social, if you're not on social media right now, you aren't for real. But today on Stories and Strategies, is social media the real thing? My name is Doug Downs, music off the top, the theme from Rob's Lament, God of War, Ragnarok, composed by Bear McCreary, who also wrote the score for the movie Six Degrees of Separation. So you see three or four degrees of separation there, at least. Special thanks this week to Philip Bishop, who is an instructional technologist at the University of Southern California. They are playing USC. They're planning to use some of our stories and strategies content in their curriculum. Thanks, Philip. Go Trojans! My guest this week is Robert Wynn. Hello, Robert. Hey, uh, Doug. Good to see you. And I know you're in that Los Angeles area, Palos Verdes Estates, just south of Redondo Beach. Is it uh, Trojans for you or Bruins? Where do, where do your alliances fit? Uh, my wife is a Bruin. I work for five years for USC, so there's a little bit of Trojan blood in me as well. Awesome. Awesome. Robert, you run a successful PR agency in the Los Angeles area. You wrote a column on public relations for Forbes for eight years. You've reported for the LA Times and Newsweek, have worked for major universities like Cornell, Johns Hopkins, MIT, Texas Christian University, TCU, Vanderbilt, UCLA, and as you said, USC. You were also a writer for Walker, Texas Ranger. How cool is that? I was fun. I was a one-hit wonder. I got on the show. Um, the producer liked me. Then the producer was let go. Then he was going to bring me on another show. And then he passed away. And uh, uh. that was my screenwriting career. 
but I, st- I still get residuals, so that's nice. Oh, that's sweet. That's perfect. Yeah. So, Robert, I uh, thank you. Um, I really enjoyed your book, The Persuasion Business, How Public Relations Really Works. Great read. Thank you. Uh, in it, you cover public relations, content marketing, PR campaigns, and I would say with a really unique and knowledgeable perspective. I appreciate it. This wasn't just another PR book that I was reading. It. Um, Thank you. There were times you made me think. There were times, you know, you kind of frustrated me, which is good. <laughs> and times I found myself nodding a few pages later. All right, I see, I see what he's saying. But the chapter that I want to get to is the one on social media. And I'll, I'll capture your perspective by reading a passage from, from the book. Um, social media success is difficult. In baseball terms, it might produce bunt singles. Waiting for easy riches and quick results is like counting on a $100 million Powerball ticket to pay off the mortgage. And you top it off repeating what someone else wrote, social media is bullshit. (laughs) Much of it is, yes, that's true. That's true. What do you mean by that? Uh, I think in and of itself... Uh, the fact that it's social media is very common. There's billions of posts every day. There's billions of photos. There's people dancing. There's people giving their political opinions. There's people trying to sell things. And to think that you're going to come up with something very unique and original that's going to help you in public relations is it's uh, it's naive and it's it, there's sort of the the whole feeling of winning the lottery about going viral. And it used to be, hey, what can you do to help me go viral? And you had have all these PR firms promise you you're going you're gonna to go viral. Rather than going through the traditional channels of the New York Times or the Los Angeles Times or a, a newspaper in Texas or Florida or Ohio or a TV station, and that just that you yourself can become the broadcaster. You yourself, with your opinions, it's going to be you know the, the one to many that you're going to promote it that way. And I think that sort of naive lottery style thinking is it's become so prevalent and so many billions of posts i mean how much how much bandwidth do you have doug Mm. do you read everyone's i mean you probably read five or ten different publications or people you're not going to read a thousand or look at a thousand it's just the, the numbers game doesn't work there's more people posting than there almost is than people who are listening and so just to clarify, are you suggesting we shouldn't be moving toward owned media or micromedia? Or are you saying an over-reliance on owned media? Is, is Definitely the over-reliance. It's always good to have. I mean, if you're a company and you want to uh, discuss some of your product offerings, if you want to respond to a crisis, if you want to connect with your customers who are already friends with you, I mean, they're they're companies that are doing that very well right now. There are clothing companies, there are healthcare companies, there are, there are big um, multinationals who are doing a very good job of that. But if you're uh, a regular person or you're just trying to get started or something, it's very hard to compete with some of these sophisticated operations that are acting now like publishing arms. So if you're saying, hey, I'm going to be a content marketer, I'm going to come up with great stuff, and I'm going to compete with um, these large clothing companies. And uh, um, I forget the one in, um, uh, they are uh, like a environmental uh, company that Tom Brokaw used to do a lot of things for them. And they're, they're down, they started in South America. And they post content 
constantly about their products, about the environment, about uh, what's going on with the oceans, what's going on with the mountains, what's going on with the water. And you're competing against them and saying, you know, this is what I think about Donald Trump's prosecution tomorrow. Now, I w I'd like to get 100,000 views on this. It's just not going to happen. I mean, the competition is too stiff. So it's good as a, a lot of times I tell my clients, it's good uh, to, as an extra um, arm of what you're doing. So if you get a story in on CNN or on CNBC or maybe a, a trade publication that a lot of people don't know about it, if you post it on LinkedIn or Twitter or Instagram, it can work as an extender. I think that's one way to look at it. But to think of it as an originator, you've got to come up with something. The video has got to be fantastic. Your opinions have to be fantastic. You have to do a lot of posting um, to make it happen. And otherwise, it's, it's just very difficult. Just the competition is too fierce. Part of the reason this chapter stood out to me is I work with a lot of clients who are really on the bent, as, as a lot are, about hiring social media managers, usually consultants. They tend to be on the expensive side, you know, somewhere between three yes. grand yeah. and five or six grand a month just to post some things to social media, which, you know, I'm not saying don't do it, but... Um, there's a lot of reliance on that with, with a limited budget. You outlined the four fallacies mm -hmm. of social media sure. in your book. What are those four? Well, I'll explain a little bit, but I'll go very quickly. Your opinions are special. Anyone can be influential. Influencers will help you. They'll be glad to do it for free. And anyone can go viral. So uh, the fallacy, the first one is your opinions are special. Um, if there's billions of posts every day, you have to be really, really special, unique, uh, come up with something interesting or different or unique. Um, one of the very few ways that you can do that is if you are like at the scene of a crash or if you're at the, the beginnings of Black Lives Matter or you're somewhere else and you're posting a lot and you're there, that's one way to do it. But as soon as that crisis is over, so is your audience. Mm. So it's just, it's so to say that your opinions or your insights are very special. Um, you can be part of a group and agree with that, but but to be the leader of that group is very difficult. The second one is anyone can be influential. So traffic usually flocks to the famous. So Barack Obama, LeBron James, uh, Justin Bieber, I'm sure your favorite artist, Doug, um, <laughs> Ariana Grande, uh, a lot of those uh, uh, famous individuals, they act as broadcasters. So it's the one-to-many model. So they don't need to be on KRLD radio in, in Dallas or KFWB in, in Los Angeles or KNX. They can, they can essentially be broadcasters themselves. But me, if I post something about me, in my opinion, it's, it's really not that interesting. So it's not everyone can be influential. Uh, the other one is uh, influencers will help you. You know, I'm going to send something to uh, President Obama and he's going to retweet it and we're going to you know, everyone's going to say, wow, Rob's a great guy. He has interesting things to say. Reaching these influencers through their handlers, their publicists, their social media agencies, their, um, their attorney, you know, their attorneys who work for them, it's almost impossible. And most of the time, a lot of these influencers, the Kardashians, they request money to do something. Uh, we've tried this with some clients with the Blue Room. Hey, I really enjoyed doing this and, and trying your new product, whatever. And like, five people respond. So it's, it's even once we're influential, if it's a paid post or if it's, you know, something that they're told to do, 
it doesn't do very well. And the last one is that anyone can go viral. I think it was Microsoft and Stanford a few years ago. It's a famous study. It's been everywhere. They said the, the chances of going viral are a little bit more than a million to one. I mean, look how many people are posting videos of themselves dancing and posting videos of their cute cats and you know, your cats playing the piano and all that. And someone may, have, may work for a month to train their cat to do that and you know, put little cat treats on there. And you know, maybe they'll get 100 or 1,000 responses. But what is that traffic? Is that traffic something meaningful to you, to your clients? Is it saying, you know, if you have 10 people who see your post and you, it's the right 10 people and you're, let's say it's for a, you're a city council, resolution and you're posting something that um, says hey we don't need to ban books with our school district and here's why and the right 10 people see it and one of them's a council member and they change their vote that's meaningful if you put something of your cat playing the piano and a thousand people say look how cute you are you're still not viral but what does it mean you know hey, here's a pat in the back boy good job i think you touched on it right there in a micro media sense Social media has some impact. It's the macro media sense where you're saying, yes, this is okay. For, for the social media managers that are listening, um, and I'm sure there, there's lots, this is not to say when we say social media is bullshit, there are, there are some very strong positive uses and times that you recommend more social media for clients. Outline some of those, the positives and the negatives for social. Oh, sure, sure. I think for, for crisis, um, Twitter is a great platform. I think it's one of the best ones because it's interactive and it gets back very quickly. Um, for announcements, uh, LinkedIn works extremely well. I got the first publisher of my book, um, what used to be called um, Straight Talk About Public Relations. And this is the persuasion business is actually the third edition of that. So I, when I got to do the book myself, I, I changed the title, the cover and all that sort of thing. But um, I found that person on LinkedIn. So LinkedIn is very important. And also uh, Texas Christian University is a client of mine now. And we post many of the times that we're on television in Austin, in Fort Worth, in Houston, uh, on CNBC and other places. We post it on social media. So a lot of the TCU Horn Frog alumni and the, um, the business community sees it on LinkedIn. Very, very, very valuable, and it works as an extender. So I think in those cases, it's really good. Facebook, not so much. Um, Twitter, good for some things, not for others. Instagram is not good for my clients, but I think if you're in the visual arts, if you're in the fashion industry, uh, Instagram is very valuable, as is, tic as is TikTok. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. You outline what you call the six rules for using social media for public relations. What are those? Uh, be brief. Don't be boring. It's very hard to get an audience if you're technical and you, you say something. You know, I know this is controversial, but I think uh, Michael Jordan might have been a good basketball player. <laughs> I mean, yeah. you've got you to come up with something. Right. Uh, be newsworthy. If you have something, whether it's... Um, I'm just using today's news as, as an example, but everyone said you know, there, there was going to be an indictment today. It's actually going to be tomorrow. Uh, but if someone had that information and gets it out there, that's newsworthy. If something's happening about the weather in Los Angeles, we've had some incredibly weird and at, at 30 years being here, the wettest weather we've had in the last two months has been more rain than we've had the last three years. And you've had snow, you know? to be fair, in some parts too, which is yes, snow in the upper elevations. Yeah. Yes, yeah. I know, but the you know what roads are closed, what roads are open, things like that that are posted. So a lot of the times, the National Weather Service. Um, 
the um, uh, the police department and other places. They're posting on social media constantly for these types of things. So that's being newsworthy. Uh, be consistent. People who post one or two times and have like maybe they'll hit it out of the park and they post a month later and they find their audience is gone. <laughs> yeah. They're you know whether it's let's see the conservative media they want to see you know what's happening with QAnon or Fox News or 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 the MAGA world they're posting ten times a day those you know or at least every day so that sort of thing um, be helpful if there's something that you can do it's saying like oh my you know I. I'm on a podcast every day and you and I have had colds recently and, and our throats are hurting. Don't yes. try honey or tea. Try, you know, echinacea and this. Something like that. I would like read that. that. I would read yeah, that. Yes. Right now. I would I do would. that a lot. <laughs> yes. Uh, I think cross-posting your, your content across all platforms, not every platform works for everyone. Like I'm not on TikTok. When I look on TikTok, there's a lot of people dancing or taking off their clothes or doing <laughs> – it has nothing to do with higher education or uh, events or, um, you know, uh, I, I do some work in the aerospace industry. Not, I wouldn't post anything on there. Mm -hmm. But I would post it on LinkedIn, sometimes on Twitter, once in a while on Facebook, not that often. And then I would say when, when some people can be live, if possible – that's the last one, if you have something to say and if something's interesting. Mm -hmm. um, again, you would rather be on CNN or CNBC or, or ABC News than on Facebook Live. Mm -hmm. But sometimes if you're trying to reach a certain a smaller audience that wants to – uh, hear what you have to say one-on-one. Uh, -on -one. That, that's a great way to do it. You've touched on this a couple of times, the most valuable social media tools in certain circumstances. And, and you actually reference a survey in the book done by Muckrack of PR pros and journalists mm -hmm. and their comments on the different social media tools. What did they find? Uh, Muckrack does this every year and they, they come into my conferences um, and, and speak and they present it. So the next one's going to be in April in New York. And they'll be presenting that as well. They find that journalists almost overwhelmingly use uh, Twitter. So they post. It's like a news feed, isn't it? Is. It, it, it is. plays out like a yeah. news feed. And um, uh, I had the, the Washington Post years ago spoke at one of my events. They have uh, about three or 400 engineers on staff. And it's amazing. They have this huge, uh, in the newsroom, this uh, huge uh, TV screen. And it shows all the different uh, news uh, stories. So they change the, the headlines throughout the day. I'm sure the New York Times and others do this as well. But I, I can just speak about the Washington Post. So they change the news feeds throughout the day based on the social media hits and what's popular. And so they may change the news stories. You'll see what goes number one, what goes number 10, that sort of thing for all different sections. And they'll do that for uh, based on you know which has the most Twitter hits which one uh, is trending on Facebook and LinkedIn and all those sorts of things. So they update that constantly. And reporters are told they're going to be judged on how many uh, likes, uh, retweets, and links. Ooh. So when you see a reporter saying, hey, what do you think about my story on blank? They are being judged about that um, from their bosses. Aha, it's part of the KPIs now for journalists. It is. It is. Excellent. Yeah. Robert, I really appreciate your time today. I know both of us are, are fighting minor colds and throats are not at 100% velocity, but uh, we motored our way through it. Thank you very much. Oh, thank you very much, Doug. I appreciate it very much. 
If you'd like to send a message to my guest, Robert Wynn, we have the email address in the show notes. Check out his book. It's a, it's a really good read, The Persuasion Business. I've read lots of these. Uh, this one does stand out to me, so it, it earns its place on my bookshelf. We have the link in the show notes. Stories and Strategies is a co-production of JGR Communications and Stories and Strategies podcasts. Can I ask you for one favor? Leave a rating for this podcast to help encourage others to check it out. Thanks for listening. Thank you.